Truth News Network. Chaos at the border. Elected officials who don't know where they are, why they're there, or what their job is. Officials who laugh like hyenas when questioned. And when they answer, it reads like science fiction. How do you navigate this sewage? With the ship of truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And your captain today is Dan Newman. I guess sewage is probably the best word to use one word, single word, to describe what's going on up in Washington, D.C. And you know what? It just seems to never want to stop day after day after day after day. It's the same old song, a different verse. And it just doesn't get better. Just when it looks like we may just have some sanity in the Potomac River Valley. We find out there's none there. It's like everybody's running around in circles screaming, the sky is falling. And whatever their sky is falling object of the day happens to be, that's the one they scream and holler about and forget about everyday Americans and the stuff that we're going through. Much of what we're going through is a direct result of either the actions of our leaders in Washington, D.C., or the inactions of our leaders in Washington, D.C. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything, everything that happens in Washington, D.C. has an equal and opposite reaction. The only problem is a bunch of what they say and do sounds good, but then when it's rolled out, guess what? It's something bad for the American people, and they tell us, we've got your back. We're going to take care of you. Just trust us. And when we dare to set our toe into the water, we find out the water was really scalding hot, and they told us it was okay to get in because they told us it was okay. Facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Let's just listen to what they tell us to do and just do it. Forget about 16,000 illegals crossing and getting caught at our southern border in 48 hours. That's that's no big deal. Well, they caught 16,000, but guess how many more got away that they didn't catch? We have no idea. They have no idea. They don't give a rip. It's like, let's just let everybody come into the United States. Forget about who they are. Forget about the criminality they're bringing in with them. Forget about the fact that they're probably, many of them, sex traffickers, human traffickers, and they're going to do nothing but beat up on the infrastructure of the United States and dumb down everything in our lives. It's not because they're on a bunch of good immigrants that just want a better life. Those are really good people, and we want to open the doors to those people. But it's insanity to believe that you can just let anybody and everybody come in and everything's going to be okay. We're not going to have a huge uptick in crime, especially across our southern border, towns, cities, and states. Not to mention, this administration is very quietly in the middle of the night moving these illegals to cities all across the country. It's like they want this to happen. Well, guess what? 
I'm pretty sure that's exactly right. They want this stuff to happen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday. I know I start with my head spinning and me spewing green vomit. And I apologize for that. Some of you are probably still sitting at the kitchen table, maybe reading the morning paper and drinking a cup of coffee with us. And I'll just slow down. I'll just back down a little bit. Why don't we do this? Just take a deep breath with me. Does that make you feel any better? Well, let's start the day a little different. Why don't we? Let's just begin. Let's start over. You know what it is? The Christmas season. Aaron Neville. What a great song. Bells will be ringing, ringing. The glad, glad news. Oh, what a Christmas. To have the blues. My baby's gone. I have no friend to wish me greetings once again. Choirs will be singing silent night. Christmas carols by candlelight. Please come on for Christmas. If not for Christmas By New Year's night Friends and relations Send salutation Show up as the stars Shine above This is Christmas Yes, Christmas, my dear. The time of year to be with the one you love. Oh, won't you tell me you never go wrong? Christmas and New Year will find you home. There'll be no more sorrow, no grief and pain Cause I'll be happy, happy once again just make you feel warm and fuzzy. Please, please come home for Christmas. I love Aaron Neville, not just because he's from Louisiana, from New Orleans, the Neville brothers, great musicians, great family, good people. 
but because the songs that Aaron Neville sings, his top 40 songs, and then that, that Christmas song, Please Come Home for Christmas. It just seems like it's good, clean stuff. You know, you can you can recognize the words. It's got a great melody. That, of course, that's an old, faithful Christmas song, Please Come Home for Christmas. Anyway, it is a great time of the year. Sadly, though, Christmas has this tendency to um, uh, put a spotlight on the circumstances that we're in during the Christmas season. You know, it's kind of like if things are good, it just makes you feel better being in the holiday season, giving and being with family and friends and laughing, good food, good conversation, just catching up with everybody during the holiday vacation time. You know what I'm talking about. But you know what? Christmas also spotlights the circumstances that uh, are not so good for people. I am in the middle of a little bit of a health issue. I don't want to call it a crisis, and I won't go into details. But uh, I just want to let you know, Northwest Louisiana, there's something going on in our medical community. Um, I made a trip to the emergency room yesterday. And the first thing they told me when I walked in, and obviously you don't go to an emergency room unless you need some pretty quick help. They told me at the front door, well, we don't have any place to put you. And uh, we'll look at you in a moment. We'll triage you. But the hospital has no rooms. If anything needs to be done from the emergency room, we can't accommodate you. And I said, do I need to go to another hospital in town? They said, every hospital in town is in the same situation. And if you ask around, make a few phone calls, it's very quietly that way in a lot of our major cities. So that means, and I'm not going into the medical stuff. I'm going to be fine. I'm okay. Um, but the reason I mentioned that is to tell you, people having medical issues really focuses on the medical issues even in this time of year and it makes people feel blue get down well i'm going to encourage all of you if you're in that situation try to find a way to count your blessings step back from the exact things the things that you're facing medically right now today and look over your shoulder Look back behind you. Look where you've come from and where you are today in your circumstances. I know that probably many of you are in a bad spot, a bad place. And so you've got two choices. You can either stay right where you are and just live in those circumstances and not do things or find ways to get out of them and just do the oh me thing. I've been there. I know how despondent you get. I know how desperate you can feel. Lonely. Nobody cares. I don't know what to do. I have no way to do anything if I knew what to do. That's a tough spot to be in. But you can either make one choice to stay there or make another choice, the opposite choice, of to think, you know what? I can beat this. I can get out of this. There's a way out of it. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just consider this as a challenge, kind of like uh, in a sports activity, a game or something. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to get out of these circumstances. 
And then you just start looking, being positive, finding a way, every opportunity. You may not find it the first time, but you've made a commitment to not let the problems, the difficulties, the circumstances just blow your life apart. You find a way to get out of it and you claw your way out of it. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes you get a break. This is a tough time for me and my older brother. December 22nd, 1969, um, our dad left that morning. It was a pretty rough Christmas that year, 1969. Things had been kind of tense at home. My brother was already gone. He was in the U.S. Navy. He was stationed in Long Beach, California. Uh, I was there with mom alone. And it was a very bleak Christmas just three days later. And I sat there in a little town in South Louisiana, Franklin, Louisiana. We had just moved there. I didn't really have any friends. Um, We moved between my eighth grade year and freshman year in high school. So you can imagine the town I grew up in was 50 miles away. I knew everybody. Everybody there knew me. Uh, We all grew up in school together. The same group went from elementary school to middle school, and we were about to go to high school together. And that summer, bam, we moved 50 miles away. So I knew nobody in Franklin, Louisiana. First day of school, I showed up, and I was an outcast just because nobody knew me. I was a new kid. And so I, um, I was a kind of timid guy. People that know me now would say, you? <laughs> well, I, I conquered my timidity <laughs> later in my life. I promise you that. But I went to school. I played football. I played basketball. I was in the speech program. I just, I just weighed in, and I was determined. I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to find a way out of it. And sure enough, doors open. God opened the door. Um... I guess a couple of months after that happened in 1969. So that next spring, I finished my junior year in high school and moved to North Louisiana. And when I moved to North Louisiana, family took me in. They were friends of ours, great people. They're called today mom and dad. And um, it changed my life. But it was an opportunity. I prayed and asked for some way out. I didn't give up. I didn't let the circumstances that Christmas season just destroy my life. I refused to let it do that. And uh, I held on. I prayed. I trusted God. And sure enough, he opened doors. And he's done that pretty much all these years. I'm 69 now. And for those of you that know me, you know that I don't look like I'm 69. I don't act like I'm 69. Uh, I'm married to a much younger woman, (laughs) and that's a joke. Marianne is six months older than I am. She's still gorgeous, always has been. She's still my best friend, always has been since we've known each other. And uh, we're going to do everything we're doing together, which we've always done. And so... I'm telling you that story for this purpose. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, make a choice. You're making a choice one way or the other. You're either going to let 
The circumstances in which you find yourself control you, devour you, eat you up. Or you're going to say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a better place. I'm going to create circumstances that will make it a better place. (laughs) And then when Christmas rolls around like it does for me every 365 days, instead of letting the poor me thing take over like, My dad blew up our family. Look, I don't know everything that was going on in my dad's life and heart. Both my mother and my dad are gone now. I had numerous conversations with both of them after the fact. And each of them, as you can imagine, had a different interpretation of the reason that breakup happened. There's always two sides to every conflict. You know that. But I was in the middle of it, and I chose to not let that destroy the rest of my life. I've had a good life so far, and I'm not done yet. I promise you. (laughs) I'm keeping on keeping on every day. I'm trucking. And I found a niche. I found a spot, one that I fit into pretty well. What is that niche? It's exactly what I'm doing right now, talking to you helping you, all of us together, finding the good things and the circumstances that, in many cases, we have no control over, like our government, what our government does, how it impacts us. While we're talking, I got a note from Pete out in California pointing out to me that it seems that a lot of hospitals around the nation are experiencing what I experienced yesterday, no beds. All the beds are full. Many of the beds are full from, believe it or don't believe it, adverse reactions to COVID-19 vaccinations. And you remember Richard Hirschman that we had live on the show with us, I guess, 60 days ago. I forget which day it was. Richard Hirschman is a funeral director in a little town in southern Alabama. And he was the first to send up the alarm about when embalming people that had been vaccinated, you know what embalmers do. They replace the blood in the corpse with embalming fluid. And they do that by pumping embalming fluid into the veins and arteries of these dead people. I know it's gross to talk about or think about, but it's what happens. And so obviously for that to work, they've got to get the blood out of those veins and arteries. And he noticed a real strange thing happening. The blood in some of those patients, some of those, they're not patients anymore, Dan, and some of those people, it was like elastic. And it he would pull it out in long strings. And it spooked him, as you can imagine. And it happened over and over and over again. And the people it happened to were people that had had COVID-19 shots, vaccinations. And so he began to reach out to fellow funeral directors and embalmers around the country, and guess what? It's happening everywhere. This morning on Epoch News, there's a a very lengthy story. It's a follow-up story. They interviewed Richard Hirschman after we did here at Truth News Network, and they began to put funeral directors together from across the nation And it's happening everywhere. 
whatever is in vaccines, I'm not sure which ones, um, I would imagine it would be either the Moderna or the Pfizer or maybe both because those are the mRNA vaccinations that Johnson & Johnson uses another platform. But this is happening around the nation. I'm not saying anybody in the hospital that I went to yesterday falls into that category. I'm not saying, I don't know what they are. I just know they told me in the emergency room there are no beds in the hospital. In fact, when they were dealing with me and they set me up to go get a CT scan, I there was no place in the emergency room. You know, the little stalls that they put you in? Those were full. They had me in the aisle, in a hallway, with a partition there. All of this that we're living in, medically I'm talking about, it's bigger than we think it is. It's more far-reaching than we think it is. And it's more sinister than we think it might be. And there are a lot of things out there that point to that. One is that they don't want anybody talking about it. Oh, if you talk about it, you're one of those evil conspiracy theorist and so we'll we'll put you in a corner and label you as a hardcore conspirator or a sycophant or one of those mega maga people oh my god Donald Trump the orange man you must like the orange man that's the world we're living in folks so what are we going to do are we going to sit around and say oh me What am I going to do? The world's falling apart. Well, guess what? You can do that. I'm not going there. I'm going to stay over here where I am constantly in attack mode. And I can tell you this. I've been in the healthcare business for 30 years. I deal with hospitals, clinics, little mom and pop medical offices from top to bottom. I don't know everything about healthcare. I don't know everything about medicine, but I know a lot about it. And I am not going to give up. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to find the answer to my medical issues. And I'm not going to, I'm not one of those people that walks into a room with a, a sword and just starts fighting people, stabbing people and, blowing everything up. I'm not one of those people, but I'm a reasonable person and I am a stickler. I'm going to keep on keeping on and finding out what's going on and finding a way through it. That's exactly what we as Americans must do about all of this SHIT that our government's throwing out that we have to step in every day or walk around it very carefully and they keep throwing it out there every day and they laugh in our faces as they do it. Let me tell you, it takes a special breed of person to even think about being a politician. I had a conversation this morning about one person in office and another that's running for office. And it was about the one that's in office and has been in office for a while, how tough it is for him and his family. Why? (laughs) 
because they voluntarily jumped into all this mess. And it's really ugly. I can't even imagine trying to wade through all of the distractions of being a public servant in Washington, D.C. I can't see how people choose to do it, want to do it. I just don't see that. To get anything done, you've got to include a bunch of people that you need to get something from to be able to achieve the objectives that you want as a legislator. And so how do you do that? You have to create a scenario in which they don't want to necessarily help you. Maybe they want something from you. You want something from them. So you turn into quid pro quo American. You got to give to get. Even if you're getting for your constituents, you got to give them that have what it is that you need and your constituents need. You got to give them something for them to give the other to you. That's an everyday 24-7 lifestyle. I can't imagine my good friend Mike Johnson, my good friend Steve Scalise, wanting to do that. But you know what? They do. And somebody's got to do it. And I'm glad that both of those gentlemen are representing Louisianians. Mike Johnson specifically is the 4th Congressional District representative and the House of Representatives, and that's my district in which I live. He's a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm a registered independent. We're like-minded, like-thinking on a whole lot of issues. He's also a very strong Christian, as am I, and we believe in God. We believe in God and Jesus and what Jesus did to make my life easier, and it is easier when I have somebody I can go to 24-7 other than my bride and talk to and even listen to and get answers. And yes, that's part of living for Jesus. You can do that. So I've got a lot of stuff in the background that makes dealing with all this stuff a little bit easier than someone who doesn't. And it doesn't mean I'm a better person. doesn't mean I'm uh, smarter than you or anybody else. It just means... I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep on pushing. I told you, I have started a book three times. The title of it is Feed the Chickens and Build the Boat. And that's based on Noah from the Bible. You remember the story of Noah and the ark? Noah's the guy that built the ark. And before it began to rain, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights nonstop. Um, he went out and found two of every creature, male and female, and he built this boat to put those creatures on when it started to rain. So those creatures wouldn't die, but every other creature like them would be drowned, as would every human in the flood. That's the story. But how did that story happen? How did that boat get built? What, what is the background of that? Noah had a conversation with God the very first time. And God told him, I want you to build a boat. Okay. What's a boat? There was no place to float a boat. In fact, there were no lakes. 
So God tells Noah, build the boat. Well, God had to explain to Noah what what a boat was. He didn't tell him what he was going to do with the boat or why he wanted Noah to do it. But Noah believed what God told him to do. He should do it just because God told him to. And it took a long time. How long did it take? A hundred years. A hundred years. And the premise of the book is this. Every morning, Noah would get up and he'd go to the kitchen and Mrs. Noah cooked him breakfast every morning. And every morning, after Noah finished breakfast, Mrs. Noah would say, well, Noah, well, baby, what are you going to do today? And Noah would look at Mrs. Noah and say, honey, I'm going to feed the chickens and build a boat. That happened every day for a hundred years. And at the end of that hundred years, God said, well, Noah, great job building the boat. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get two of every creature that you can find. And I want you to get them on this boat. And guess what Noah did? That morning, Mrs. Noah asked him, what are you going to do today? And Noah said, well, right after I feed the chickens, I'm going to go find two creatures, two of everything, and put them on the boat. When God speaks to us, and he speaks to us in a bunch of different ways, he can do it through reading the Bible, he can do it from listening to a sermon, or he can do it from, oh, I don't know, listening to this bald-headed guy on this show that streams worldwide. <laughs> if, if you'll listen, God will reach out and talk to you and give you thoughts and ideas and answer questions if you let him. Many of us, when he answers them, we don't like the answers, so we uh, ignore him. I get it. I can tell you this. There's a small group of people, very small group of people, and a whole bunch of animals that were thankful that God got a hold of Noah, got Noah's attention, and each day for a 100 years, at the end of breakfast, when Mrs. Noah asked Noah, what are you going to do today? Noah said, I'm going to feed the chickens and build the boat. And then those last days, months, years, however many, Noah would say, uh, I'm going to go find two creatures of everything and get them here to get on that boat. So what are you going to do today? Well, I don't know what your job looks like. I don't know if you're retired, what your day's going to look like. But I encourage you to just pause a little bit and say, God, thank you for giving me today. And whatever you want for me to do today, just let me know. And I'm all about doing what you want me to do. I'm going to feed the chickens and build the boat that you want me to build. Big show today. Second hour, Steve Baker will be here. And in the second hour, Steve and I at the top 
of the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to break down this fifth Twitter dump that came out late yesterday. Yep, we're up to Twitter dump number five and what it means. So we want you to stick around in the meantime. Go grab that second cup of coffee. In two minutes, we're going to crank this thing up. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee. Signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing the prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. Got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic DSSB shocks. So it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Let me tell you whose uh, who's boat has a big hole in it today, and, and that is uh, the owner, the founder of FTX. Yeah, we're talking about Big Sam. He's in jail in the Bahamas today. He's the guy that started FTX, that a couple of billion dollars worth of cryptocurrency disappeared through his uh, company. And his company wasn't a cryptocurrency. Don't get that mixed up with actual cryptocurrency. FTX is just an exchange It's kind of like the uh, stock exchange where people invest in various trading entities, maybe stocks, maybe bonds, in this case, cryptocurrency, to buy and sell. That's what uh, his company, FTX, is all about. So Sam Bateman-Fried was scheduled today to, via Skype or, I don't know, one of the uh, video online streaming services was supposed to testify before one congressional committee and very mysteriously knocked on his door, the door of that big penthouse that he's living in with 15 other people down in the Bahamas, and he was arrested. 
and he's in jail there, so obviously he's not going to testify today in front of the House Financial Services Committee. He was arrested after U.S. authorities filed some criminal charges against him. Earlier this evening, we got this report last night, Bahamian authorities arrested Sam Bankman-Fried at the request of the U.S. government based on a sealed indictment filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission in New York City. We expect to move to unseal the indictment in the morning, and we'll have more to say at that time. But some politicians quickly pointed out that his arrest came just hours before his highly anticipated testimony before Congress. Tomorrow, Sam Bankman-Fried was scheduled to testify in front of the House Financial Services Committee. We were ready to grill him six ways to Sunday. That's former New York Republican gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin tweeted, now breaking tonight, SBF was just arrested. Why not allow him first to testify tomorrow and answer our many questions? His scheduled appearance before that committee, it came after the disgraceful financier, previously Dodge Chairwoman Maxine Waters' request for him to testify before the committee. He told Waters in the committee last week that he's not sure if he would be finished learning and reviewing what happened with FTX before the committee wanted him to testify today. But on Monday, yesterday, during a Twitter space interview, just hours before he was arrested, Bankman-Fried confirmed he would appear remotely before the House Financial Services Committee rather than an in-person appearance because he's, quote, listen to this, he's quite overbooked. I don't think I'll be arrested, he said during the Twitter space. And he added that he's open and willing to possibly appear before the Senate Banking Committee today, the 13th. Senator Sherrod Brown and Pat Toomey, one a Democrat, the other Republican. Um, Sherrod is the chairman and Pat Toomey is the ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee, criticized Sam over his reluctance to confirm an appearance before their committee. I'm going to stop there and just say this. This is how Washington, D.C. works. Here's a guy, folks, that's on top of about two, maybe three, maybe four billion dollars in fraud. In fraud. You got that. That means there are people out there, not just in the United States, but around the world that trusted his company, his exchange company, FTX, to be honest and just represent them and their wallets. That's what cryptocurrency is stashed in. It's not an account. It's a wallet that the individuals are the only ones that have access to it. However, when you go through a crypto exchange, you're basically giving that exchange access to your assets, in this case, crypto that's in your wallet that you opened up and sent to him to act as your representative in an exchange. Does that all smell bad? (laughs) 
It really does to me. Dave Rubin, one of my favorite, favorite people, uh, he was on with Dave Portnoy, and I like Dave a lot. And they began to kind of just pull this apart in front of a studio crowd. Dave Portnoy, you guys know Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports, who knows a bit about these exchanges and a bit about the market and what's going on. Uh, he was at Tucker Carlson. I was actually downstairs from them right there. I was having a burger over at the Hard Rock uh, Diner. Uh, he was on Tucker Carlson at the Hard Rock Hotel Hollywood just a couple days ago, explaining like, hey, is anyone going to pay for any of this? Really get to the bottom of what happened? No, no. I mean, I don't know that we'll truly know what happened because there's a lot of big players who probably lost a lot of money. I mean, the bankruptcy today, what they released is crazy, what they were spending money on. But who knows? I never think we'll know anything. I don't want to be some conspiracy debate when there's big money involved. I never think I'm getting a straight shake. Like, I mean, honestly, how can Gensler sit down with a guy who is living in a penthouse in the Bahamas with 15 people who are all having sex with each other, spending money on everything, and he's like, yeah, we're going to write the legislation with you. I mean, honestly, how is that possible? I, I can't tie my shoe. This guy's doing that and getting away with it. It's like, come on to the White House. Let's sit down and, you know, make some legislation. It's insane. Yeah, so there's a lot of weird stuff. It was like they were, they were having orgies and all this weird stuff, and this idea that Bankman-Fried was helping Democrats write legislation related to crypto. He was doing something that was against the very nature of crypto. If you talk to anyone that knows anything about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, again, this idea of the centralized uh, exchange is nuts. You would want it all to be decentralized, but they have a centralized guy. So he's into control, writing the laws about cryptocurrency, which is completely counter to the very ethos of cryptocurrency in the first place. But this thing, this FTX thing, it, it's everywhere. It's affecting and infiltrating, I would say, even the world governments that seem to be coordinating in some sort of, call me crazy conspiracy theorist, I'll be proven right in two years, some sort of uh, globalist agenda. Uh, we've got some info here from the New York Post. The shocking implosion of the FTX crypto exchange has become an embarrassment for a who's who among global elites with some issuing mea culpas and other apparently scrambling to hide their ties to its disgraced 30-year-old founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. <clears throat> Web archive sites show that the World Economic Forum, shocker, whose glitzy shindig in Davos, Switzerland is a must-attend for billionaires and world leaders each year had previously listed FTX as one of its partners touting the Bahamas-based firm as a cryptocurrency exchange built by traders for traders. Bankman-Fried also was a speaker at Davos last May along luminaries such as Google Financial Chief Ruth Porat and Bill Winters, CEO of the London-based financial giant Standard Chartered. Nevertheless, World Economic Forum has since scrubbed any mention of FTX from its website in the days after the crypt crypto exchange filed for bankruptcy. Do you think this is all weird? Do you guys think the timing of this thing is weird? There was this giant Ponzi scheme, money laundering machine that made it all the way to the election, being the second largest Democrat donoring structure, donation structure. And then it implodes the day after the election. And then the World Economic Forum which we know basically puts world leaders in positions of power in different Western governments. Then they scrub FTX's relationship off their website within three, four days. 
Do you think this is weird? <laughs> Do you think this is weird? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a lot of illegality? Is there a lot of sinister players and sinister for actions that uh, were taken in all this? Well, you remember Dunstan Teo was on the show with us last week. I'm pretty sure it was Tuesday. Um, I would recommend that each of you go, go to iHeart, um, iHeart Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Go there and enter in the search bar if you already don't have it bookmarked. That's where you go to get these shows after they uh, go off the air live. And the show name is TNN Live. And then scroll down and look. The, in the title, it'll say which one we had Dunstan Teo on. Dunstan, for those of you that may not know who he is, he's the largest holder of Bitcoin in the world. He's actually probably a trillionaire. I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure he's at least worth hundreds of billions of dollars. He is a strong Christian man. He's a personal friend of mine. Um, He's made his money in cryptocurrency. He's very involved in the structure of cryptocurrency. And he revealed in that show, listen to what I'm about to tell you, those of you that weren't here. You know all that money that the U.S. government sent to Ukraine almost all of it, went through the FTX exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange. And a bunch of it, Sam Bankman-Fried's mother, works for the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation. And a bunch of that money went to that foundation. A bunch of it went to Democrat candidates' campaigns. And a bunch of it went to Ukraine to be laundered. Now, don't act surprised that the government of Ukraine would launder any money, that it was evil. (laughs) The Ukrainian government and Ukraine businesses have been known for years to be the most corrupt financial company and country in the world. Yes, the Clintons were involved in this. And usually that means there's something sinister going on. Now that's from Dunstan Teo. Why would he come on the show and reveal those things? I got to be honest with you. He's not concerned about anything other than getting truth out there, and that's why he's coming on the, he's come on the show 3 or 4 times in the last few months and he'll be on Next week, the following week, whenever something's very big up there, he loves to come on the show and talk to our listeners. And so you learn a lot. Have you heard anything anywhere else about what I just told you? Well, it's beginning to open some eyes. And the stories came out this morning, very early this morning. I saw a couple of them, and it was saying, there's an analysis that Republicans in Congress are pushing for that will reveal where the government money the United States sent to Ukraine 
where it went, and how it's being used. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) They're understanding now that it didn't really go how it normally would go. It went through FTX, and it went in large part in cryptocurrency. And if you don't know anything about cryptocurrency, let me tell you how it works. I have a little bit. It's in my wallet. The great thing about cryptocurrency is if you have a wallet and you buy some or trade for some of whatever cryptocurrency it is and it goes in your wallet, nobody can access it. Nobody can. It's not like a government can come look in your account and grab your account. They can't do that. In fact, the entity that my wallet sits at, which is in the air virtually, I'm the only person that can access it. And that makes it the safest place on the planet to keep money. I know that sounds hard to believe, especially in light of what FDX did. What they did, they never put that currency people sent to be traded it with their exchange. They never put it in those people's wallets. They had access to it because unknowingly, the people that sent it gave them access to it. I don't have my cryptocurrency on deposit at an exchange. It's in my virtual wallet and only I can get to it. There's a whole lot of that out there. We may dive into that on another day. We may actually bring Dunstan on to break it down for us just so you and everybody that wants to can understand the difference between um, cryptocurrency just being used the way it was devised to be used on a personal basis rather than having exchanges where you go to exchange it because this kind of thing that happened can happen and it's happened. In another case, Binance, the biggest exchange on the planet. The founder of Binance is in prison for these exact things where people got duped into trusting them like Sam Bankman-Fried. People trusted him. So they opened accounts in and through his exchange, FTX, and he just reached in and did what he wanted to do. Isn't that a criminal activity? Um, I would think so, but guess what? The Securities and Exchange Commission, when this FTX thing happened, they sent a don't-touch notification to the federal government, the Department of Justice. I was told, or I heard this morning somewhere, that the Securities and Exchange Commission had launched an investigation. Here's the thing. That's empty air. The SEC has no authority over cryptocurrency. (laughs) If you want to cheat, if you want to steal, if you want to lie, guess what you're going to do? You're going to cheat, you're going to steal, and you're going to (laughs) lie. That song, Haters Gonna Hate, Liars are going to lie. Stealers are going to steal. Thieves are going to be thieves. Uh, 
it's just what it is. South Louisiana, we already says, is uh, if it walks and it quaddles, if it waddles when it walks, it's pretty much always a duck. <laughs> Sam, paint him however you want to, but Sam's a thief, and thieves are going to steal. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. You know what? I think we ought to be using um, Christmas songs for our bumps in and bumps out. Maybe we'll talk to Pete Moss and get some of those done. Although, this is a good song. Could it be I'm Falling in Love? Who was that? The Spinners, I think. Way back in 72, 73. Well, I guess one of the biggest issues we're facing today is exactly what's happening right now today in anticipation of what happens at the end of the month. What happens at the end of the month then? The end of Title 42, which is the edict that was put in place during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, by the CDC that authorized, in fact, demanded the federal government for any illegals that came to the southern border. It gave the government the edict or authority with an edict that they could immediately deport the people that came in because of their unknown health conditions during the COVID-19. In other words, we didn't want COVID-19 more than we already had coming across our border with these illegals. Guess what it did? It worked really, really well because they were being sent back across the border, uh, going back to their place that they came from. And when the word got out, they stopped in large numbers, they stopped coming. Well, Title 42 ends December 31st. In anticipation of that, everybody predicted when this Title 42 ends, it is going to be a literal flood of illegals coming to our southern border. But they're not waiting till the end of the month. In 48 hours, 16,000 illegals were registered coming across our southern border. 16,000. 
you can only imagine, you can guess, we don't know the number, but we know there's normally an equal number of gotaways. Those are the people that don't come through the port of entries. They're not caught. And so they're getting away. So based upon the facts from the past, 16,000 in two days caught and registered, at least probably another 16,000 gotaways came in as well. Here's what's going on. The Border Patrol had over 16,000 migrant encounters over the weekend, according to Chief Raul Ortiz. Sunday night alone, more than 1,000 immigrants walked across the shallow Rio Grande River from Mexico into El Paso, Texas. This video from photojournalist Corey Boudreau shows how they lined up in darkness to turn themselves in at a Border Patrol mobile processing center. Massive crossings over recent days have pushed holding facilities in El Paso to their limit. As a result, the Border Patrol released nearly 800 migrants onto the city's streets Saturday and Sunday. Before this massive line formed, the Mexican Federal Police escorted buses of migrants to non-governmental organizations in Juarez who then made their way to the border to cross. The Department of Homeland Security wants these migrants processed quickly before Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas's scheduled visit to El Paso tomorrow. He is expected to review operations and meet with the CBP workforce, local officials, and organizations. To get as many processed as possible before his arrival, CBP is asking migrants to either return voluntarily or be released with a notice to appear for a court hearing at a later date. Straight Arrow News visited this exact site in October and toured the mobile processing center where immigrants are turning themselves in. They will each be provided food, any necessary medical treatment, and have their documents authenticated and receive both fingerprint and retinal scans. Then they will either be deported or begin their immigration or asylum process. El Paso has previously bused migrants to other cities when there was enough demand. Let me just go on record and, and say this. With all of the things we are facing today in the United States of America, bad things, and there's a bunch of them to go around, what would they be? We've got inflation. Cost of everything's going through the roof. There was a report, the inflation number, the uh, CPI came out this morning, and hey, 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 it's better news. It's only 7.1% now. <laughs> 7.1%. Now, what does that mean? Well, everything you buy this year, you're paying 7.1% more of it than you did last year. Does that mean you're getting more of it? You're getting better products? No. Better service? No. It means you're paying 7.1% more for the exact same thing. That's going on. We have this flood of illegals that are, are going to get worse I can only imagine what it's going to be like on January 1st when Title 42 ends. And then they'll be able to, and these drug runners, these human traffickers, they've got them teed up. They've actually invited them. The cartels are running this whole operation. They're coming from all over South America and Central America, and they're putting them together, and then they have already started this 16,000, almost all of them, were bussed to the southern border by the cartels in anticipation of getting them across the southern border. And these people are paying a massive price. 
for the ability to be able to get into the United States. I know, I know it's absolute insanity, but it's happening. Is it going to stop? I don't think Joe Biden's going to stop it. I think that the U.S. Congress, if it's going to stop, they're going to have to get serious with it and do whatever they can do to make it happen. Can they force the Biden administration to do something? I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, good morning, Mr. Baker. How are you doing? I am fine. How are you? Well, you know, I am uh, almost 100% again. (laughs) Well, good for you. You know, you have to, well, you have to, uh, you don't have to just decompress. You have to uh, decontaminate after nine weeks in (laughs) D.C. You're back in North Carolina. (laughs) Exactly. Well, uh, we were time being. We we just went or entered the show today talking about. Uh, I can't. I just can't imagine anybody wanting to go live there and serve in the government, just because every day, like you said, you get some of that stuff on you, and you can't wash it off. Don't know what it yeah. is, but know that it's not the right kind of stuff. And uh, uh, talking about, I have friends that are legislators in the House of Representatives. I have one yeah. that's a U.S. senator, and um, I I just don't understand why they want to go to Washington D.C. Even they, even though they we know they want to be public servants and serve the people, yeah. that's what initially they go up there for. But it's like walking into a, a a quagmire. You don't know what it is. You got to walk through it, and you don't know how to get out of it. So you just tr- try to puzzle your way through. And these people are going there voluntarily. I just don't get it. Yeah. And they're, you know, and they're, I, I like to look at it more as an infectious disease or, a, or, a, or a, a, I don't know, it's like a, a snake pit or, or of infectious diseases. It's, it's all of them at once and you're, and you're going to become infected. And the guys that do in fact survive this, I think they only do barely, barely. Well, survival again is an individual definition of what it is. Yes, it is. I think, I think coming out alive would be the best that you could (laughs) hope for if you were going up there. Hey, listen, when we dialed you, we uh, had just been talking about 16,000 illegals uh, getting registered coming across the border over the weekend, two days, 16,000. And with the Mm -hmm. end of title 42 coming, what it, is probably going to look like before we get into the conversation that we're supposed to talk about today, the uh, yeah. fifth Twitter dump by Elon Musk. <laughs> right. uh, what are your thoughts on the Southern border insanity and where we're headed? Well, you know, Dan, being one of those guys that like to refer to myself as a libertarian, you know, a libertarian is a person that has an ideological um uh, you know, almost utopian dream of a borderless, a borderless world. And I'm not one of those open border liber- libertarians. Uh, first of all, you don't have a country if you don't have a border. Let's just start there. But that's the first thing. That's just the basic concept. But more importantly is, is that we don't live in a world that allows for o- open borders because there are people who don't like us. 
and and it's not and it's not be, uh, we we can we can talk about you know uh, all day long about the the maybe the bad things we've done foreign policy wise overseas in certain areas of the world or certain countries and we can talk about how they would uh, react to us and they would want to harm us for our foreign policy and then we can also talk about people don't like us for our freedom that's a that's a very basic concept as well but the bottom line is we don't live in a safe world we live in a world where unfortunately we have to have men that stand on walls that protect us and our families so that we can sleep at night so that our jobs will function the next day and so that life can carry on and that food will be delivered to our supermarkets and such as that. And, and we don't live in a world that will function without those borders. And we see that all over the world and why we're different here, or why we're supposed to be considered to be different here and we can have our Southern border open makes no sense whatsoever. More importantly, as I said, we don't live in a safe world. You and I both know that I have very strong connections inside the intelligence world. And that is something that I can tell you unequivocally is that we have operations specifically targeting our Southern border that move very dangerous people into our country for future operations and call them what you want, deep cells, terror cell or groups, whatever, but they come in and they're embedded with those groups coming up from Nicaragua or the Dominican Republic or wherever else that they're coming from. And that is a fact. That is not conspiracy theory. That is not anything that needs to be um, dismissed or called a nothing burger because it is an absolute fact that our intelligence services and our um, contractors that work with intelligence services are working with every single day. Now, we have problems with our intelligence services. You know, we do. <laughs> we have a lot of problems right now, and, and even related to some of the things we're going to talk about in a little bit. But despite the, the, despite the things and the problems we have with our intelligence services right now, they are actively working on stopping those groups from coming across the, the southern border. Let me illustrate what you just said. I have a good friend here that was a lifer in the public education system, and he got tired of the school system. So he decided to draw his money out of his school retirement fund and go to flight school in Florida. So he went down there for six months, and he wanted to become a commercial uh, pilot for some airline. And after six months, he came back. He was disoriented. He didn't like it. He didn't think it would work out. So he talked his way back into the school system. And so about a year later, guess what happened? We had 9-11. Yeah. And um, he sat next to a guy named Mohammed Atta in this school <laughs> down there, flight school. And Remember he was shocked. Name? Yeah, he was shocked when... This guy that he sat next to, uh, when they got to the point where they talked about flying a 747 because he was training, this guy, this friend of mine, was training to fly a 747 and talked about it. And the guy sitting next to him kind of laughed and said, you know, I really don't need to learn how to land one. <laughs> Mohammed Atta wow. was the guy that took over the first jet that mm -hmm. flew into the Twin Towers in New York City. So there were a group of these guys that had been in the United States that were embedded for the express purpose of doing and creating and 
gathering together everything and everybody necessary for the 9-11 attacks to happen that far back. And I know what you said just a moment ago, probably probably the 9-11 attacks pale to what plans are in place with these embedded groups that are coming in here for later activities. I can only imagine what those might be. And that's and th- those are individuals just waiting for the the call orders, and and that is they're waiting for the opportunity when the time is right, and and that doesn't mean that they will be activated, but they're here, they're trained, and they're ready in case they are, and and they are in fact coming across the board, and we catch them every day. Yeah, we find yeah. we're we are we are finding and catching uh, our our border patrol agents, uh, the 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 ones that are down there that are still wearing the white hats, that are still doing the job of serving our country properly and keeping their oath of office and trying to protect us from far from enemies, you know, both foreign and domestic, they are capturing these individuals every single day, but the mainstream media is not going to cover that. And Lord knows we could, we could go deep on that topic as well. Oh yeah. They, they are bragging about, we've got to, we, you know, we caught a hundred terrorists that were on the watch list. We're patting ourselves on the back, which probably means there are 500 that they didn't catch. (laughs) Exactly. That are out there. Mm-hmm. Well, let's segue into the um, the soup of the day, the soup du jour, <laughs> which would be Elon Musk's latest download of the Twitter files. And I think that's what we can safely call this from now on, the Elon Musk when he dumps yeah. one. It's the Twitter files. Yeah. There's a bunch that's out there. And I, I didn't think these dumps would happen this close together. I thought he would wait, you know, like a week in between to give everybody time to digest what uh, what he mm-hmm. was throwing out there. But well, I obviously there was a delay between the first dump and the second dump, and that had to do with the fact that they had to do a little more house cleaning, and one of those was, you know, a FBI agent that was working there basically as a staff member. <laughs> for Twitter, a liaison between the FBI and, and uh, Twitter, and he was still inside the building. They had to get rid of him first before dumping him. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was no there was no collusion between the FBI and Twitter. <laughs> I mean, what do you yeah. think we are? This is the United States of America. We don't do that. We have that First Amendment thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your thought about the f- f- first four? Just a summation of what has been revealed so far before number five. My, my first thought, and I always go this way, and you probably do too, Dan, is, is that I always want to know what the other side is thinking, saying, and how they're reacting to uh, uh, information like this that is absolutely <laughs> impossible to avoid. I'm chuckling. And I'm chuckling as you said that because uh, – <laughs> The other side, they there's it's like you remember Sergeant Schultz, right? Right. I know. I, I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and that's and that's exactly what it is. And they've they've resurrected that term. I used it earlier already. The the, the term nothing burger, and they've resurrected that term again because that's the only thing they can do. There. This is this is an entire cabal. This this is a, a collusion between major media, big tech, and the 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 left side of our government. We'll call it the deep state, call it whatever you want to call it. But this is a collusion between those entities, 
And for the first time in a long time, now you and I have known it because we, we, we pay attention to both sides of the, of the media and we hear and we read and we study and, and we get up every single morning, both of us, and we go through hours of this information every morning before we do our thing each day. But we knew about it two and a half years ago, but the world is just now suddenly figuring out and finding out because a billionaire, you know, we're, we're calling for lack of a better word, our mad scientist, everybody needs their own mad scientist. And we've got our own guy, it looks like, you know, in uh, Elon Musk. And because he, he spent $44 billion out of his own pocket and bought this gigantic information source, because that's what it is. It's a data source. That's all these social media um, platforms are anyway. These, these social media platforms are nothing more than gigantic data resources and we are the product. That's what they are. And so in the midst of all of this, just, you know, terabytes after terabytes worth of data, they started sifting through it after he took ownership and started finding what internally they were saying about all of these things related to deplatforming conservatives, stopping um, uh, certain voices from being heard, or at least um, the, the whole throttling and, and reach restrictions and putting, putting uh, shadow banning uh, algorithms in place, all the things that they denied that they were doing in the first place. Well, we, now, we know that all of that existed. And we know that there was a certain group that was targeted for doing those things. I mean, for, for instance, just that, and this is, this is revealed in this data dump here just the other day, and this, this puts it all in context. All, out, of, out of Twitter's staff and senior executives, they're overwhelmingly progressive liberals. And, and we know this because in the 2018, 2020, and 2022 election cycles, the Twitter staff's political donations, which are public information, it was 96%, 98%, and 99% respectively in those three election cycles went to Democrats. So when they start targeting voices, who do you think they're going to target? It's not complicated. But what this cabal has to do is now they're circling wagons and they're just going, eh, it's nothing. Or they're just ignoring it completely. So they're either saying, eh, it's a nothing burger, or like the New York Times are just ignoring it. Because if the New York Times, NPR, Washington Post doesn't say it, then it never happened. Well, they all come around after two years, you know, uh, <laughs> like the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop. You know, nobody admitted it till all of a sudden the contents are being revealed every day. And it's some other network that's revealing it. And they're losing uh, the the fact that they're the ones that are supposed to be first with everything. So all of a sudden they jump in and they act like they were in it from the very beginning. Um, let me let me just yeah. say this. What from the from the 10,000 foot level what this tells me is that for a very long time none of this just happened. The Twitter stuff didn't just happen. But for years there were people in every one of the groups that you just mentioned, the FBI, other parts of the Department of Justice, um, the Democrat Party Homeland leadership. Security. Say again? 
Homeland Security. Yeah, Homeland Security. Literally, literally these 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 three letter agencies agencies literally taking up office space in the in the uh, in the, the buildings of Twitter and, yeah. and Facebook yeah. and the like. But for years, all of these groups were in tandem. They were all working together surreptitiously, but they were working together quietly, and they had all of these objectives. And it begins, it begins somewhere. Where did it begin? Let me tell you where it began. And I've said this for several years, and now it's been proven. The Democrat Party, like-minded people that looked at their political failures, that they saw the little ones that happened, but they looked ahead and they saw, hey, this top-down philosophy of governing, It's not going to be sustainable because Democrats were very quietly in most cases realizing during the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration that that philosophy wasn't working. And so Mm -hmm. they began to jump ship. So these leaders very quietly said, we've got two options. We can just accept the fact that our party, our philosophy – is failing among the American people, and we can start, we can quit, or we can start a rebuilding process. How do we rebuild? Hey, we've got a perfect feeder operation. We have the southern border, and we can go get all of these people and promise them a great life, getting them and figuring out ways to open the door for them to come into the United States, and we're going to give them a uh, place to live, free health care, free public education, things that they didn't have in these countries they came from. And then we're going to find a way to get them citizenship so that they can vote. And, of course, when they vote, they're going to vote for the people that got them here and have supported them lock, stock, and barrel, and so mm-hmm. therefore obligated to vote for them. It has yeah. to be that being the reason for them just ignoring the rule of law, ignoring the First Amendment, and finding a way to keep this conservative push, this rise in the nation, the scient, quiet, giant uh, giant that has been growing Mm -hmm. where conservatism is looked at as, you know, this is probably the way to sustain the nation. And, of course, what happened, Donald Trump, he just messed up their parade for four years, but that just gave them a little more time to get ready to, after Donald Trump, just explode on the nation with their top-down egregious ideologies that Elon Musk is exposing now. It's been going on for a long time. Yeah. You know, another thing that really struck me as I read through these uh, files, and I, I've been following since the first release, and of course the first release happened before, while I was still in D.C., but uh, now that we're into our fifth data dump here, and the last two dealing specifically with um, the actual deplatforming and canceling of President Trump, that was... Uh, an interesting read in itself. And I, I stumbled on something in my, or at least something that crossed my mind that I haven't seen anybody else write about. As I'm reading through the language of these Twitter executives and employees and, and the ones that are 
raising the red flags and, and some of them actually raising the red flags on, on our side, on, on the, the constitutional ideas of freedom of speech and are we going too far? Are we crossing a line by doing this? Uh, so in the, in the process of all these discussions, I kept hearing these and reading these Orwellian type words like allow listed, be amplified, things like that as they're talking about the, the, the processes of considering whether this particular speech that he made or these words that President Trump said, could they be themselves construed as incitement to violence? And as I was reading their descriptions, and I kept thinking, my God, this is exactly like George Orwell. This is 1984. This is, I'm literally reading words being created out of thin air like that sound like crime think, unperson, double think, black, white, right out of the book 1984, as I was reading these words. And that is because you have a group of unappointed, unelected bureaucrats deciding what can and cannot be said in our nation's town square, because that's what these platforms have become. They are, they are the town square now. And that's why they're protected. And that's what makes this even more insidious, Dan, is because these platforms are receiving the protection of federal law so that they're, they're not held, themselves held accountable for what you and I put out there, or what other people, or what extremist groups say, or what other people might call for, um, for violence or, or, or uh, race, racist thought or, or thought crimes of their own. And so as a result of that, they have the protection. And yet because they have that protection and they're operating now in, as I've said before, collusion with the various three-letter agencies that we've described already, and they actually have these people officing inside of their buildings so that they're having these Orwellian conversations with them as they talk about unpersoning people. That's I had a exactly what we're looking at. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine that is a heavyweight Democrat, longtime um, Democrat leader in Northwest Louisiana, had about an hour-long conversation with him last night. We hadn't um, really had any time to have deep conversations. And this is somebody I can tell you I have a great relationship with. I'll just tell you this. I love this guy. We've been friends for decades. And he is a, he's a, a Democrat. He is a progressive Democrat. And I hate to use the term progressive when I talk about Democrats because there's nothing progressive about the Democrat Party philosophies. But that's a story for another day. And let me tell you what he asked me. He said, so what are you far-right people, what are you going to do now that Trump's dead? Who are y'all going to go out and support? Is it going to be uh, DeSantis? Is he going to be your new Donald Trump? And that speaks volumes to me because what that does, what it says is all of this stuff that we're seeing revealed in all five of these Twitter dumps, it reveals that the expectation has been there on the left for a long time that unless they got really busy, and started finding people to support their philosophy that would get activated, not just be quiet sitting on the sidelines, but would be activated, 
that they were going to lose their hold on any possibility of moving this nation in a leftist philosophy, moving in that direction. And they were afraid if we don't get busy, the orange man, he's going to come back. And we we can't yeah. afford for him to come back. We've got a ray of hope to get this left-moving movement functional. And if he comes back, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And so they're now thinking yeah. ahead. They're still not sure that they've killed the orange man. He's still out there. You know what? I just brought a thought to my mind. Based upon what we've seen in our lifetimes, you and me, that's happened in this nation when somebody gets really powerful, it just seems to me through the years that everybody in that position has somehow been taken out. Either political exposure or some big thing happens quietly in their lives and they just all of a sudden, well, I'm going to resign. I'm going to go back to Timbuktu and I'm just going to live with my family. You know, Paul Ryan, he's an example of this to me. He was Speaker of the House. He uh, ran for vice president with uh, Mitt Romney when they they made that failed attempt to run. They basically lost because the last 90 days they just quit. But nevertheless, all of a sudden, Paul Ryan was a rising star on the political landscape. And just overnight, just overnight, he said, I'm done and left. And I know where he is. He's working for Fox News upstairs. Uh, He got one of those cush jobs. But Mm -hmm. somebody, for some reason, had a conversation with Paul Ryan. And that conversation turned him into leaving politics. That kind of stuff is happening. How has Donald Trump not had something like that happen to him? Why didn't he go to Mar-a-Lago after they ran him out of the White House? Why didn't he go down there and just hang it up and start being the business tycoon again? Why would he keep his nose in politics? And why the hell would he think about running for election again? That's blowing their minds, Steve. They don't know how to process that. Well, blows my mind. I, I mean, I, you and I probably would have curled up in a corner somewhere long ago under the intense scrutiny and pressure that a guy like him <laughs> has faced. So, yeah, so we, we have no concept of, of what what is going through his mind in that regard. But, uh, yeah, no, they, they're, they, they haven't. They have an incredible fear of the guy, and I don't uh, pretend to know exactly what it is, except except for the fact that he has shown the willingness, unlike anybody else in our lifetime, to rip the veil back, and that's that's what frightens them the most. I mean, you, you think you think about it in in terms of uh, um, you know the. We, we go back to the Epstein uh, saga here and, and we see the conviction of his mistress, wife, whatever she was. And, and yet we have her convicted of being this madam, this child, you know, or this, this uh, purveyor of, of uh, uh, child trafficking, sexual, sexual trafficking, but not one single client has ever been revealed. And the idea of the veil coming back on that's just one aspect of it. 
but then the corruption. And one of the things that Elon Musk is doing right now, and, and you've seen the discussions of this, he actually has and has publicly stated now he actually has an, a real fear of assassination attempt against his life because he's pulling the veil back. And anybody who does that and makes these types of actions to where they're revealing what has been hidden for so long and so deep, they they have actual reasons to uh, be concerned about their safety. Before we leave today, I want to I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the overarching thing that is hanging up there in the air. And we look up and we see little bits and pieces. And you and I, because we're so inquisitive in what we do every day, is we look and we don't take what we see immediately and just say that's automatically factual. We dig into it. We want to find out what's really underneath the real purposes and the real reasons and who the players are. Talking about Elon Musk, not as a person, but as a revealer, the person that has opened the eyes of millions of people. And forget about mainstream media. I really don't give a rip if they believe Mm -hmm. anything that is exposed. They're exposed. And I think tens of millions of Americans realize now uh, that's not the mainstream media. You can call them whatever you want to call them. They're in the tank for the left and everything they say, everything they do has got that underlying as the cause and the reason for what they quote-unquote report. What you're doing and what we're doing here and what we do together, you and I collaborate, what we're doing is finding more things that are important that the American people need to see and understand. How long do you think what you're doing and what we're doing and our collaborations How long in this environment do you think we have before we're clamped down on by whoever has the authority to clamp down upon us? Um, I like to think that what we're doing here can't be touched because I don't, TNN Lives, uh, unless they shut down the internet, they can never shut that up. But the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, we had 600 subscribers that all were from Russia. All of a sudden, they can't get the show anymore. Putin shut down the internet for outside of Russia, especially Ukraine stuff. So what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is we don't think something like that can happen. But how long, and do you think we're, we're in the bullet path for some of that kind of stuff to happen? You're not the first person to ask me how long do we have left? <laughs> That's a big question. But when it when it's posed as specifically as you posed it, how long do we have the ability to say what we're saying and to collaborate together and to get this information out there? I don't know. And I don't think that they're going to be able to throw the switch. The as we've seen with what they have done with Twitter and Facebook and uh, YouTube especially, is that they have used the backdoor approach to silence us and to subvert the First Amendment process. And the only thing that I'm concerned about, Dan, is what I saw in that courtroom, and I hate to go back to that yet again, but it, it, I'm obsessed with this. I, I, Dan, I, I still can't sleep at night. I lay in bed 
an average of two to three hours before I can go to sleep every night, reliving the things that I saw in that courtroom, because what I saw in the courtroom is what's coming to mainstream America and coming to Main Street America. And that is the silencing of voices by scaring people into silence. And that is by creating criminals out of individuals who thought that they were defending the constitution, who thought that they were keeping their oaths, who thought that they were engaging in activities that were a furtherance of their oaths to defend this country against enemies, foreign and domestic. And as a result of that, they're looking at decades in prison now. And so I see, I see a, a blanket of fear being, you know, the wet blanket of fear being thrown across the, um, the speech of individuals like yourself and myself. Now, maybe because of our age, we don't care anymore. We're, we're, we're going to go down, but the younger generation, <laughs> you know, the, the, those who still have, uh, you know, they still have young children. They're out there doing what we're doing and they're, they're podcasting and they've got tens of thousands or even millions of followers out there. And, and I think of guys maybe like, um, uh, you know, Steven Crowder, who's, who's got the, the largest stream now in, in America. I mean, the guy, the guy's election coverage stream dwarfed actually had more people watching him on YouTube than we're watching all of Fox, MSNBC, and CNN combined on election night. Yeah, yeah. And so, so when you see a guy like that, but he has two young children and his entire staff, they're all 20 and 30-somethings. Will they, when they're faced with that gun cocked in their direction, will they be able to stand up and go, oh, well, you know, maybe if I just shut up a little bit, maybe if I don't say that, maybe if I silence my speech in that regard, maybe if I followed their rules uh, this time, they won't uh, show up with the SWAT team at my home tomorrow morning. Wow. But I, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm past that, Dan. I, I mean, As am I. bring them on. Yeah. As am I. Um, my kids are grown. You know, I've got six grandchildren. Everybody's doing well and, and happy. Um, I consider what I'm doing a calling as I know you do too. And we're both going to keep trucking yeah. and, uh, until they come shut us down, not tell us to shut down <laughs> until no, they take us down. down. Um, right. listen, I, I'm so glad you and I get together every Tuesday and have these conversations. And of course, you know, at any time when you have something that's really important and, uh, you feel like it's something that our audience needs to hear. I'm a phone call away live. You call, we'll throw you on. I trust you. And, uh, I know you probably won't cuss on the air. Uh, and even if you do, <laughs> Most of the time. if you do, the FCC has no say so because this is internet. Nevertheless, internet. I'm, I'm joking, right. but you have an open weight place to come and, uh, share your heart anytime. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. And so we'll uh, we'll do our swan, swan song. I almost couldn't for, I couldn't forget to I couldn't think of the word swan. Um, we'll do our swan song today. Thanks for coming and uh, keep in touch. Let me know as anything develops. I know your ear is on Washington D.C. as is mine. And anytime you know of anything important, let us know. We'll do it. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Dan.
Steve Baker, one of my favorite people. I love when he comes on and shares his his thoughts with us. You know, it's we're all conservatives. You're conservative. You wouldn't be listening to this show, I don't think, unless you were conservative thinking. And he's a libertarian. I'm an independent. I'm conservative, I think. Maybe I'm a little more conservative in many ways than is Steve. But I don't think ill of him because he's got a different opinion. We're closely aligned in our thought processes. And uh, it's good to be able to speak to people that are like-minded because what we do, you and me, every day, unless you listen to Fox News 24-7, you're exposed to people that aren't like-minded that aren't conservative, but you know what? If you haven't already adopt this, think about adopting at least this mindset. You want to interact with people that don't think exactly like you. You want to understand why they feel the way that they feel about everything. That's the way we learn things. You never get too old to learn. I'm 69. I'm a sponge. I read constantly. As I get older, the thing that troubles me the most and concerns me the most about my health is my vision. I can't imagine not being able to read. And even if you go blind, you can read, you know, through Braille. And I'm not going blind or anything, but that's a concern that I have because I'm older. I want to be able to read, to interact, to learn, to continue to learn. You should be the same way. We're never too old to learn. Don't quit. Don't you ever quit when it comes to learning things and being a sponge. We all have people we love that look to us for resources, information, our kids, our grandkids. We owe it to them. Learn, get facts, and share the facts with those you love. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. 
Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Scum and villainy. <laughs> How do you really feel about him, Pete? Uh, that's Pete Moss. You guys probably don't know him. He's been a close friend for many, many years in broadcasting. Uh, years ago, we uh, we were on the air together at a re- local radio station here. He moved on to bigger and better things. He's in Chicago now, has been for a long time. He's got the great voice. Uh, I don't think anybody has a voice as good as Pete Moss. But nevertheless, talking about Steve Baker being a libertarian and me being an independent, a conservative uh, Pete Moss is somewhere way up there right of both Steve and I. Uh, He's somewhere around uh, Attila the Hun. (laughs) Scum and villainy, that kind of tells you what kind of guy he is. Well, there's somebody else, somebody else in cryptocurrency that's in trouble. Hmm. There's a guy now that's on the hot seat at FTX. His name is John Ray III. John Ray III now is the CEO of that cryptocurrency exchange company, FTX. And so he, in testimony, laid the blame for the cryptocurrency exchange's collapse on the founder, old Sam, and former chief executive, Sam Bankman-Fried, and his top executives, telling Congress today they gambled with their customers' money without any safeguards to protect people's money that were invested and given to this exchange. He testified before the House Financial Services Committee today. As furious lawmakers have demanded explanations, they promised to make heads roll after FTX lost billions of dollars of customers' money. The FTX group's collapse, it appears to stem from absolute concentration of control in the hands of a little group of grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals who failed to implement virtually any of the systems or controls that are necessary for a company entrusted with other people's money or assets. Yeah, right. And so... His opening statement stuck fairly close to that written testimony, which was provided to the committee before the, um, before the hearing. He took over following Bankman-Fried's resignation. He's handled several major corporate collapses. He was the guy who took over Enron when it imploded. He said in his testimony to the committee that nearly all the cases he's handled allegedly criminal activity share common characteristics But he said, never in his career have I seen such an utter failure of corporate controls at every level of an organization, from the lack of financial statements to a complete failure of any internal controls or governance whatsoever. He said his investigation is still ongoing, but he's found a couple of unacceptable management practices so far that the very small group 
of grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals running the exchange engaged in. He revealed that senior FTX management had access to customer assets. They were able to redirect, held hundreds of millions of dollars of crypto access absent of security controls or any type of encryption, and pointed to the absence of audited or reliable financial statements. He acknowledged that his new leadership team has been in close contact with U.S. authorities and lawmakers and the questions remain regarding what happened with FTX and its crypto hedge fund, Alameda. However, he said what they know already is that FTX was gambling with customer assets by commingling them with Alameda's and engaging in margin trading. Do you know what margin trading is? What it is is you take an asset, let's just say a $100 bill, and you want to put that into play in the stock market, and you want to find a way to make that $100 turn into $1,000. Well, it's really hard to make 100 increase tenfold, so margin trading was invented. So what does that mean? What it means is you find somebody that will take your 100 and they'll cut it into pieces. And so instead of having $100 of investment out there, they're going to take, say, 10 of that 100, and they're going to invest that 10 in a margin account, basically saying, I want to buy one share of this other company that's out there, and I'll pay you later, but here's, here's a little bit a margin, let's just say it's $100. I'm going to give you $10 now. And what I'm betting on is that my $10 investment is going to turn into $100. And if it doesn't, by the way, here's what I'll do. I'll pay you the difference if it goes below $10 value, which I've given to you. I'll pay you the difference, but I'm going to own that hundred dollar other stock and you do that 10 times that's what a margin account is it's gambling is all it is he said the ftx group went on to what he called a spending binge in late 2021 through this year and they shelled out roughly ah five billion dollars on a bunch of business and investments that may be worth only a fraction of what was paid for them He also wrote that loans and other payments were made to insiders in excess of $1 billion. Sam Bankman-Fried had agreed to testify this morning before the committee, but he was arrested yesterday evening. He faces charges from federal prosecutors in New York and other fraud complaint from the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC complaint filed yesterday accused Bankman-Fried of carrying out a scheme to defraud equity investors in FTX Trading Limited, his cryptocurrency trading platform. The court filing describes the alleged operation as a massive years-long fraud. Nothing but a fraud. And i got to be honest with you, that it, it, that's really sad because 
people, many people, many good people trusted this company. And Sam Bankman-Fried, he took advantage of them. Maybe he is a good guy. Maybe he was a good guy and he just got led down the wrong path. I don't know. But what we do know is a bunch of people, a bunch of people are paying the price and it's a big price. There are a lot of people that lost a lot of money. And in the back in this, as Dunstan Teo told us last week, a lot of that money that went from FTX to other places, most of the money that the United States government, you and I, the taxpayers, sent to Ukraine, most of it was put through FTX in cryptocurrency. And why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just wire transfer it to the Ukrainian government accounts over there? Well, that's what they should have done. But as politics goes, Sam Bankman-Fried's mother is a longtime servant. And I use the term servant because anybody that is involved with the Bill and Hillary Clinton operation serves that operation and Bill and Hillary Clinton. Thoughts are that some of that money may have gone to the Clinton folks. A bunch of it went to Ukraine and a bunch of it that went to Ukraine is untraceable right now. When people want to steal, they steal. Haters going to hate. There's that song again. It just keeps popping up, popping up over and over and over again. Why don't we move on? A sad story coming out of Starkville, Mississippi today. Mississippi State University, the head football coach there, Mike Leach, a really good guy. He passed away overnight from complications. He had a massive heart attack on Sunday. Mike was a giving and attentive husband, father, and grandfather. He was able to participate in organ donation as a final act of charity. That's what their family put out. Mississippi State University President Mark Keenum said Leach's impact was felt across the entire college football landscape. He was hospitalized Sunday after he had what's called a massive heart attack at home. He spent 21 years as head coach, including at Texas Tech and Washington State. He's known for creating one of the most prolific passing offenses in the country. As a coach, Leach set multiple school and national football records. He also wrote two books, including a New York Times bestseller, an autobiography titled Swing Your Sword, Leading the Charge in Football and Life. He's survived by his wife, Sharon, and four children, 61 years old. Wow. He was a good guy. Everybody liked him. Even if you were an SEC fan, which I am, and I have my team, obviously, my team is LSU. Mississippi State, a lot of competitive blood there. But I always liked Mike Leach, and I hate that for his family. And sometimes things like this, they bring you back to reality in your personal life. He was 61. I'm 69. I had a mild heart attack six years ago. And uh, it just makes you think, you know, we all, none of us have any guarantees. We just got to make hay while 
the sun shines, don't we? (laughs) So I'm making hay. What about you? What about Sam Brenton? Do you have any idea who that is? Well, he's the Department of Energy. Um, He's a guy that was solely responsible for dealing with nuclear waste for the federal government. Um, Now, he's out of a job. He was fired. He's really kind of a strange guy. He's the one that is gender fluid. Um, He's not, I don't even know what you call it. He doesn't apparently claim to have any gender. But he dresses really, um, female most of the time. Now he was fired, and it has nothing to do with his government job. He was fired after he received a felony charge last month for stealing a woman's luggage at Minneapolis Saint Minneapolis Saint Paul International Airport back on September sixteenth. It occurred when a woman that was arriving from New Orleans went to baggage to find that her navy blue Vera Bradley roller bag was missing. Airport records confirmed it arrived at 4.40 p.m. but was missing from the carousel. So law enforcement reviewed video surveillance footage and observed Brenton removing a navy blue roller bag from carousel 7. The complaint says... Brenton removed the tag from the bag, placed it into a handbag he was carrying, and then left the area at a quick pace. He arrived at the airport about 427 on an American Airlines flight from D.C., but didn't check a bag, meaning he had no reason to visit baggage claim. I guess he just went shopping. (laughs) And he saw a bag, somebody else's bag that he liked. Anyway, the guy gets fired. My question was this, how does a guy like this, (laughs) how does a guy like this get hired? They don't do a screening process when you apply for a federal job. (laughs) You would think that anybody that would sit in a room and talk to this guy about going to work for the federal government, especially would at least ask a few questions and get a few answers before hiring the guy. I just don't know. A federal judge in Montana has ruled against a law from Friday of last week that allowed individuals to choose not to get a vaccine in medical settings. This is in Montana. Montana passed a law in August of 2021 that banned the use of vaccine mandates as a condition for employment, including in medical settings. The public interest in protecting the general populace against vaccine-preventable disease in healthcare settings using safe, effective vaccines is not outweighed by the hardships experienced to accomplish that interest. That came from a federal judge, Donald Malloy. The House of Representatives will vote to eliminate a vaccine mandate for U.S. military personnel. That's according to reports published last week more than a year after the military implemented that vaccine mandate. The mandate resulted in 8,000 troops being discharged from the military, and the forces fell about 10,000 short of the recruiting goal for all of this year. 
A New York court ordered New York City to reinstate all employee fires over the vaccine and also issue them back pay, saying that the commissioner acted beyond his authority in issuing the mandate. What are these two stories? What are they saying? What are they saying? Vaccine and vaccine mandates, folks. I just don't know. Once again, if it quacks and waddles, it's pretty much always a duck. I mean, not pretty much. It always is, don't you think? Well, let me just let me just pontificate for a second. I want to thank each and every one of you that come here. Many of you come every day. Many of you can't. Many of those people, you download the show later from your favorite podcast site. I just want to say thank you. This is a time of year where we say thank you a lot. And I want to say thank you today. I don't take any participation by anybody for granted. I just don't do it. I mean, we all make choices, don't we? We choose who we want to live with. We choose where we want to shop. We choose the kind of clothes we like, kind of food we like. You choose to come here, and I'm thankful for you. And I love this time of year. I love Christmas music. And so we're going to leave on a fun note with Michael Buble. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes that glow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door A pair of hop-along boots And a pistol that shoots Is the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that'll talk and will go for a walk Is the hope of Janice and Jen And mom and dad can hardly wait For school to start again It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go There's a tree in the Grand Hotel One in the park as well It's the sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start And the thing that'll make them ring Is the carol that you sing Right within your heart Beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front 
door Sure it's Christmas Once a more